This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 75. Hello friends. So when I was thinking about how to introduce this week's conversation, I started to make notes about all the statistics about social media and mental health and then I thought, you know, I think we've all got the message now that social media can be damaging and detrimental to our mental health. I mean, there are headlines every week. There are some really robust studies. We've seen increased accountability in all of the main social media providers. But there's very seldom any real advice about how we as humans can navigate it all safely and happily. And with so many of us actually quite dependent on these platforms to run our business or to communicate with our audience or even just to have fun sometimes... I really believe that these are the conversations, how to create boundaries, how to take the good and leave the bad, that are going to help us safeguard our mental well-being in a really essential way. So my guest for this week's conversation, Fiona Thomas, is a journalist and an author whose book, Depression in a Digital Age, The Highs and Lows of Perfectionism, is just the most compelling and honest account of a mental illness that will be so familiar to so many of you listening, as well as myself, But it's also the most beautiful celebration of all that's possible through social media as well. So after I read it, of course, I knew she had to come on the podcast. And in the conversation you're about to hear, we talk about boundaries and self-worth and Instagram stories and just about everything in between. And I hope that it adds something valuable to the wider conversations being had about all of this stuff. Before we dive in, here is my low-key casual reminder um, that it really helps me. It helps the podcast if you share. So if you want to stick it on your Instagram stories, give it a tweet or a retweet if you see me sharing it. Anything that you can do to spread the word helps get the podcast out there, reaching more people who might benefit from hearing it, but also helps me keep on producing this podcast every week. And if you fancied leaving me a little review in your preferred podcast app, that would be even more magical. Okay, enough from me. Here's Fiona. Hi, Fiona. Welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi, thanks for having me. It is so good to be talking to you. For anyone who's not come across your work yet, could you give us um, a brief introduction in your own words to who you are and what you do? So my name is Fiona Thomas. I started off as a mental health blogger, um, kind of gravitated into journalism. So I write for The Metro, I've been featured in, I've written for Grazia, paper and I've also got a book which is called Depression in a Digital Age and that is all about um, living with mental illness and how social media can help and hinder that kind of recovery process. And the book is a very honest, um, I've just finished reading it, but a very honest kind of account of how you got to where you are today and the role that mental illness and a breakdown kind of played in creating this wonderful life that you've just described for us. Yeah, so I had a a mental breakdown in 2012. I was 26, um, which I think I think is like I think the mid 20s breakdown is like the new midlife crisis. Because <laughs> <laughs> so many people I know go through this this big mental shift in their mid 20s. So I had graduated. Uh, did a, I studied music? Like made a terrible, well, not a terrible decision, but just my 16 year old brain was like. I want to be a rock star um, so I so I studied music at uni uh, and then quickly realized that wasn't for me so when I when I graduated I kind of was in this mad rush to prove to myself and prove to the world that that all hadn't been a terrible mistake and that I could still 
get a proper job in adverted commas um so I, I just kind of fell into a, a management job in catering working in coffee shops and um, when I was living in Scotland and it just all got too much I, def- I definitely know now that I was predisposed to have a mental illness it kind of runs in my family um but just working really long hours like really early mornings and late nights and having a being a, a store manager when I was 21 was just crazy and just too much so yeah I got diagnosed with depression when I was 26 and then after that I kind of I got anxiety as well and I'm 32 now so I've been living with it all that time and basically social media just gave me this platform to express myself and figure out figure out who I am now that I have a mental illness um, and gave me a Give me a safe space to just be honest about what's going on in my life and owning owning this thing that so many people don't want to admit that they've got. So I try and fly the flag for people that have got mental illness and say, you know, you can be open about it and you can you can live with it. It's not the thing that you just kind of get over and don't ever talk about again. Like you can just live with it and talk about it and yeah, like everything everything can work out fine if you're honest with your situation. Because I, I can imagine, especially at 26, it was something that was really difficult to talk about with your friends. Like I, I was first diagnosed with dep- depression and anxiety at 16 and I, I couldn't talk to anyone in my life about it because nobody had any understanding of it and there was just so much stigma. I definitely didn't talk about it in the beginning. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like I got diagnosed and then was suddenly the poster girl for <laughs> depression. It took me probably about two years before I could actually say the words out loud and I definitely that's where the blog came into play because I would blog about my experience and not really that I didn't really tell anyone about it it was just kind of like an online um diary that I would pop you know pop my thoughts on every now and again I didn't tell my family about it didn't tell my friends about it my husband knew about it um but then the more I wrote about it and the more that strangers on the internet you know I had a conversation with them it just kind of built up my confidence of speaking about it so once I, I almost like the way I see it as I kind of played out my identity online and then that gave me the confidence to then be that person in real life because you know most people are you know their online persona isn't representative of who they are in real life so I felt like my real life persona wasn't representative of who I was but my online persona was I think this is more common than ever gets talked about actually this is kind of one of my little pet theories because so many people I speak to and it's especially women are scared of the people in their real life seeing their on life online Mm -hmm. persona and they kind of want to keep it separate like maybe you start an Instagram account but you don't want your like the mums at the school gay and all the people that you work with to follow you and the kind of the knee-jerk reaction to that is because people go oh well it's because you're fake online it's not the real you online you're pretending to be somebody else but I always think it's the other way around and that for a lot of us we are more our true self online because so many of those barriers are not there like you're not worrying about what you look like and about what people are going to say about you behind your back and there's a freedom to be a more true version of yourself and to be more kind of experimental with who you are yeah absolutely I 100% agree um and especially Instagram um, yeah. talking on Instagram stories was like hands down the the biggest 
the biggest positive experience for me with um with relation to social anxiety because I really really struggled to make eye contact with people and be in a situation with people that I don't know so if I went to a party and there was a couple of people I didn't know I would just leave or I would stay in the corner and ask my friends to stay right next to me and don't let that person speak to me <laughs> um but yeah having um Instagram stories just just changed my life because I was talking to the camera about uh, just how I was feeling and talking very openly about depression and anxiety so then when it came to meeting people in real life like it just it was almost like like a a, a practice run like a rehearsal yeah. and then well, in real life you know it just kind of rolls off the tongue so much easier it's talking to strangers but from the company of your own home and without having to process all the information of like their re- response because you're exactly. not looking at their face you're not kind of working out if they're smiling or if they look angry all that stuff yeah and obviously the fact that you know you can record it and then if you play it back and you think oh so like an edit you can delete it and try again yes yeah which you can't do in real life yeah annoyingly (laughs) (laughs) and yeah the fact that stories goes away after 24 hours so I just think well unless somebody somehow has downloaded this and saved it like they'll forget about it by tomorrow yeah so this is something like you and I I think you and I are some of the only voices out there talking about how amazing social media can be in ways like this and I think as well about maybe people on the autistic spectrum who find that kind of face-to-face social interaction really challenging people with disabilities and I mean I know from being the times when I'm housebound for days weeks on end the ability to go online and have that social connection that is so important for mental health and just for kind of overall well-being like as humans we are social creatures and even as an introvert there are times when I need to kind of communicate and share ideas and laugh with other people and the internet makes that possible for pretty much everybody yeah I like I know so many people uh, I talk about this a lot in the book of how I made so many friends, genuine friends online um, that I just never would have met in real life. And even if we had met in real life, we probably wouldn't have disclosed uh, about our mental illness or, or talking, spoken so deeply about our mental illness yeah. so quickly. Um, so yeah, it just gives you that. I suppose in the same way that it gives trolls this anonymity, it also gives vulnerable people an anonymity, which makes it easier to kind of bear your soul to people or just be honest and it's also yeah. it's not it's about being honest with the people you talk to but also gives you that thing of being honest with yourself um, and gives you a chance to just think yeah so this is actually how I feel on this whether that's good or bad for me it was kind of good because I felt like yeah I do have depression I do have anxiety but it's it's fine like and I try not to be one of these people that um in the beginning, I felt like it, mental illness was inflicted on me and I was really, really um, had a real chip on my shoulder about it. But now I just feel like it's, it is part of my identity and I'm fine with that. And I'm quite happy to fly the flag for other people who are suffering as well. And that kind of community can can a lot of the time be missing in the real world around illness. So especially around mental health, like there are not many places you can go and sit in a room with other people who are willing to be vulnerable about their experience of mental health and where they are. And especially when you're kind of in a recovery phase, which is a a phrase I'm going to use lightly because obviously mental illness is a lifelong illness for most people. But when things are going well for you, 
most people wouldn't be like, I'm going to go and join a depression group and talk about my experiences. Mm -hmm. But online, there is that whole range of experience. There are people living with it at all different points of their life. And I think that broad picture of of illness and kind of how it plays out at the different stages of life is also a really valuable tool. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Most people who have a mental illness, um, if they've been to the doctor, then they know the steps that they should be taking. They've probably been prescribed medication if they've chose to take it. They've been told um, to you know, get more exercise, to try yoga, to switch off their phone at night, um, to eat a bit better. They know all the steps to take. But the, the part of the puzzle that I think is missing for a lot of people is just that peer support and that shared experience. Because a doctor doesn't have the time to sit down and maybe doesn't even have the personal experience to say to you, I know how you feel, this is totally normal, it's okay to feel like this. So I find found the online community has been just that missing part of the puzzle for me of feeling part of a gang of misfits who all support each other and we're not there to give each other solutions because like I say you kind of you kind of know what to do and mm-hmm. um, you just want someone um you just want someone to say I know how you feel and it's and it's rubbish um but and but they people with depression are all the people who give you like the most uplifting support um and I know from personal experience and talk to other people as well that giving giving that yes, support to other people yeah. is actually really helpful for your own mental health as well because um, you find yourself saying to people you'll pull through you'll be fine and then you think gosh so I've come a long way that I can see that that this person's going to be okay so you kind of bear that in mind for yourself as well and I, I found it's true of kind of all sorts of different communities online like when you first have a new baby and it can feel so isolating and you, you're lacking that kind of support and community the internet is an amazing place to be when you've got a chronic illness and there's not an awful lot of information from the medical community being part of a supportive community online is just an amazing resource and I'm sure there are people listening who've got other examples of when the internet can kind of be a bit of a lifesaver yeah, so I, I, I'm originally from Scotland and I moved to Birmingham in 2016 because uh, my husband got a job here and we we didn't know anyone. Um, and at that point, I thought that my social anxiety was quite under control. And then, it wasn't till then that I realised how much I had been isolating myself in Scotland. And I realised that I was only hanging out with my four closest friends, didn't ever go out with work mm. friends, um, didn't ever go to... Like even go to like a stand-up gig or just wouldn't go to anything that was out of my comfort zone and I really just had to it was a fork in the road where I either decided to not have any friends or just throw myself into it and Twitter was at that point Twitter was the, the lifeline for me because there's a really big uh, blogging community in Birmingham which I didn't know about so I just was like oh I'm a blogger and everybody just like was like okay come to this event come to this come and introduce yourself like um and Birmingham's a, a bit of a melting pot for people all over Birmingham so, or, or all over the UK so loads of people that I meet aren't from Birmingham either so everyone was like oh so good to like meet friends and socialize and now pretty much all of my friends in Birmingham are from that community and we all met on Twitter I love that like 
some of my longest, oldest friendships are online friendships back on a forum. This is pre-social media in the early days of the internet. But I remember uh-huh. back then, like, I couldn't tell anyone that I'd met my friends online. It was really taboo back then. And we used to have cover stories. People think you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, people thought you were, like, meeting paedophiles off the internet, yeah. I think. So, um, and now that we're at this point where, like, you went along to a huge meetup, everyone was making friends there and you can talk about it openly so much has changed in regards to kind of the digital world in our in our lifetime yeah and I think that's the point I try and like emphasize with people is that the online community is amazing but if you if you connect with people that are nearby then please try and take that offline if you can because the online community doesn't substitute real life connections yeah it's important to have both and and I, there's something that happens to a friendship when you can make it face to face that kind of takes it to a different level sometimes. Uh-huh. And sometimes the people that you connect with online, then you meet in real life and you're like, oh, we don't actually click. So yeah. I think it's, it is important. And then sometimes there's people that you've only maybe spoke to once and then you meet them in real life and you're like, oh, my God, like, I'm so glad we connected in real life because we f- you find out so much more about someone. I hate that we call it real life, though, because, of course, the internet is also real life. Um, so you and I are obviously quite big on the positives, but I, obviously there are an awful lot of difficult things to navigate online as well. Um, and one of the things you talked in the book about um, when you were exercising and going to the gym and how quickly that tipped over from being something that was quite a positive experience for you and was helping you to being something more negative and the internet can really bring that out in people as well I find yeah I think it was like a bad combination of me being um you know just just starting to deal with my depression but you know I was doing exercise because I knew that would make me feel better um but then I was still my self-esteem was still very very low and my body image perception was really was really negative so I was going to the gym and exercising like two or three hours a day every single day under the guise of mental health but secretly (laughs) wanting to change my body um, Mm. and being quite extreme about it Um, and because yeah because I was in that mindset the internet was just I always say the internet is just a tool it's what you make of it but I made of it you know I'm gonna figure out how I can get thin how I can get um a perky bum how I can get abs how I can get really skinny arms so I was following all like all these YouTube accounts with like American bikini competitors like complete extreme end of the scale people who are like literally weighing out their cocoa pops in the morning and covering it with a protein shake instead mm. of milk and being like yeah I can do that you know the kind of information that's not meant to be advice but you know when you're in that mindset you just copy it of course, and control is so seductive, especially when parts of your life feel completely out of control. So yeah. whether it's controlling your body or controlling the numbers in some other way. Yeah, so I had to make a conscious decision after a good a good few years of real, real restrictive eating um, and exercise obsession. It was when I moved to Birmingham, actually, I made the decision, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to not going to go through this cycle of dieting because then then I had ended up in a situation of binge eating which was dieting for maybe a week or 10 days and then binging you know Mm -hmm. lots and lots you know lots of food um in the space of a day and I thought I just I need to correct this and I I 
I love reading about stuff like that. So I'd read up on, you know, how dieting doesn't work and how intuitive eating can be mm-hmm. really helpful. <laughs> um, so I knew, and you know, there's like two parts of your brain. There's like one part of my brain that's like, that dieting doesn't work. Why are you doing this? Then there's another part of my brain that's like, well, it's worked before. I got thin before. Mm-hmm. So, so it'll work again. Um, but I just thought, I can't do this anymore. And that was a real turning point because I don't think we realise how much brain space it takes up to be constantly on a diet. Absolutely. And so and it was definitely when I stopped doing that and started just exercising for my for mental health and for enjoyment, that's when I found I had the this the brain space to properly get stuck into blogging and writing. I just had that creative space opened up again, which I hadn't anticipated. If this sounds familiar to anyone, they should check out I've got an episode with Laura Thomas. Um, who is an intuitive eating oh, she's amazing she is amazing um yeah so that's a good place for people to dig in if they kind of are listening to this and thinking hang on this kind of sounds like me because it is it's a huge sort of epidemic I think diet culture is is sort of hoisted on all of us and we internalize it from such a young age and like you say it takes so much energy and time and preoccupation that we could be pouring into the things that make us feel whole and happy instead Exactly. So I just basically had to, I just used social, in the same way that social media had had kind of made that situation worse, I just decided to use social media to make it better. So I, you know, unfollowed all the all the accounts that made me feel awful and um, substituted that with body shapes and mental health accounts that made me feel good. And just, just the way to rewrite that, that internal narrative and just kind of you know because the fact that we scroll continuously with all this subliminal messaging yes it can be awful but you can also use that to get the right messages into your brain and it's surprising how quickly it works I was quite skeptical cynical about kind of just changing my Instagram feed up Mm -hmm. but it really does make a difference to kind of the the norms that you go to in those moments of kind of looking in the mirror or judging yourself or anybody else yeah, it's really powerful because you're because well, depending on how long you spend on Instagram, you're looking at hundreds of images a day. So why not make that a positive experience? Absolutely. Have you got other things that you would recommend to people in order to kind of maintain a healthy relationship with the internet? What else has worked for you? So I I do have screen time on my phone, mm-hmm. but I always I always ignore it. <laughs> so I just try to switch off in the evenings so I will literally put my phone um on charge in another room or I'll put it on charge in in the living room but on the other side of the room and I've got for for productivity I use uh, the forest app which I don't know if you've used that before but all it is is you set a timer and you can't you can't use your phone until the timer the timer goes off you literally can't touch anything if you do Basically, the, during that time, a little digital tree grows on your phone. I've heard of this one, yeah. So, and if it's if you cancel it, then you, your tree literally just wilts on the screen. You kill the tree. So, it's, it's honestly, nobody wants to do that. Um, so, I use that. I do like the Pomodoro technique and do like twenty five minutes of work and then five minutes of rest. Um, and I think like work is good to set work boundaries as well. So, you know, don't. Tell people that they can't contact you on Instagram or that you don't answer your phone at night time. Um, you know, delete the app from your phone if you have to. I think it's 
I have days where I just think I don't want to deal with this and I just delete all the apps from my phone that's fine we'll be there when you go back tomorrow Jen Carrington who I do my other podcast with she deletes her Instagram app every night and reinstalls it the next day I also know I was speaking to a blogger the other day who has decided to get two phones so she's got a work phone and a personal phone which I thought was genius that's actually such a good idea yeah so all like her friends it's only like her very close friends that have got her personal number and on her personal phone she doesn't have um I don't know I don't even know if it's connected to the internet but she doesn't have any apps does such a good um, no emails popping up that I yeah. actually think maybe I need to do that that really appeals yeah because you told me that I was like that's that's so smart. I can't believe I've never, I've never thought of that before. Because it, those boundaries are hard to reinforce if if it's there. Yes. Like it's so easy. You wake up at 3 a.m., you can't sleep. Oh, I'll just check my Instagram messages. And before you know it, you're back in work mode in the middle of the night. Exactly, which is, yeah, we've all done it. Um, also, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb just all day. So I don't get any notifications. Yeah, I live with my phone on Do Not Disturb. It drives people crazy because yeah. they can never get a hold of me. But then, this is the important. This is the thing with boundaries. Like once you, once you set the boundaries, people will come to get used to it. So people will know now that they probably can't phone you during the day and yeah. expect to get a response. Yeah. So you've got to set those boundaries, otherwise people will come to expect what you the standard that you've set it's so true and the same with like if you reply to a couple of emails at like 9 p.m mm-hmm. then the next time that person wants to get hold of you they're going to be like well I know she answers emails all the time so why hasn't she answered me straight away and their expectations are kind of hugely ramped up exactly um yeah this is all this is all really timely for me <laughs> because I mentioned to you right at the beginning like post book launch I am feeling a kind of burnout that I've not really experienced before. Like I've lived with anxiety and depression my whole life, really. Um, but this is the first time I've felt this. It's like there's a brick wall between me and my work and I just can't bring myself to do any of the things I need to be doing. Um, but I'm listening to all this, these things you're listing and thinking, yeah, I, I've not done any of these things. I think a- when you're in that when you're in that situation, it's kind of like all hands on deck and you've got to you've got to you've got to put that wall up and you've just got to say okay I'm going to be out of office for you know if you can do it for a week or longer I think when it gets more severe you need a severe kind of reaction to it well because I know you've talked about obviously you were diagnosed with depression and anxiety when you were going through your breakdown but you kind of recognize it now as a kind of burnout as well Mm, I definitely I was going through burnout in the lead up to my diagnosis and if it had been if I had gone to the doctor or if someone had noticed that I was going through a burnout, I think it all could have been avoided. I guess I'm interested. What would you have done differently at that stage if you if you'd recognised it? I so at that time I was there's a uh, I talk a lot in the book about how I wanted to be a girl boss because that was a very <laughs> trendy term at the time, and I just wanted to be a career woman. I wanted to be successful, and I read loads of books that were like say yes and figure it out later that was Mm. very much my mentality if you get offered an opportunity if you get offered more responsibility you take it and you prove yourself and that's how you climb up the ladder um so I was doing three people's jobs instead of one one of one of the people's jobs that I was doing was my superior so it was crazy the amount of responsibility that I had um so if I could go back now I would say and the only reason that my employer's let me do that was because I said yes so I would go back now and I would say 
<clears throat> I can't do any of this. I need to go back to the bare, you know, the bare minimum of what I can do. Um, and I would set better boundaries. I would leave work at five o'clock instead of staying late. I wasn't taking proper lunch breaks. Um, I was just sitting at my desk. I wasn't getting enough fresh air. I wasn't, I was so tired. I wasn't doing the things that I enjoy. Mm. So I wasn't socialising with friends and family. I was just catching up on sleep. And I remember coming home one night and couldn't even, couldn't figure out how to make a dinner. So I just drank a bottle of wine and ate a bag of Haribo. <laughs> so just, oh, yeah, there's just so many ways that you figure out all the things that you're not doing and try and, and try and, correct that but it's, it's individual it yeah. depends what you you know what balance looks what you like makes you yeah what makes you feel good and of course like when you're younger it's a lot harder to to let go of the identity that you you so desperately want to cling to like you talked about you, you felt like you kind of made that mistake at university and and girl boss is an identity that it's peddled a lot still online really like as something that you can be and that you can attain and then it's who you are and it's almost the same with the whole kind of gym um like fitness Instagram world that's like another identity that you can just pick up off the page and make yourself who it is And, and the hard work is actually realizing that your identity is already there it is who whoever we are and it's not going to be a neat, tidy package like Girlboss or Fitstagrammer or whatever it is that we're finding on the internet. Yeah, it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that I was unemployed. You know, I was offset, so I didn't have a job for about a year. And I just hated the fact that I couldn't tell people what I did yeah. for a living. I hated it. And that, that took a lot of... Um, looking internally to why why I felt like that and I think like not to get too deep but capitalism has made us all feel like we're just we're just productivity machines and that our our self-worth is defined by how much work we can do and how how far up the ladder we can climb as opposed to I think now for me success is just what my day-to-day looks like I'm really happy that my day-to-day is me at home at a computer with the flexibility to go out a run when I want, go a walk, meet people for coffee, um, and and do a job that I find creatively fulfilling, even though it doesn't, it's not particularly well paid. <laughs> um, yeah. So success for me is, and identity has changed so much from from yeah all those years ago. And that message is it's out there, but it's still hard to find. I think, and you're you're so right that right capitalism it kind of starts in high school it's like what job are you going to be because that is the most important thing that's why you're here in school it's to equip you for a job um and like so we're kind of indoctrinating our children straight into that mindset of your worth is defined by what you do between nine and five Monday to Friday and I had the same thing when I left my NHS job and kind of had no job title a real loss of identity and my husband's talked about it too because he left his role he was a deputy head teacher in a special school and now he works for me and people will say to him like what do you do and and his instinct is still to sort of sort of talk about what he did previously because people understand that but it also it make people make a lot of assumptions about mm-hmm. you based on and your... I guess he must be proud as well that he was that he was in yeah. that role so it's, it's still it is still a part of his identity that he's got all that experience absolutely and he was brilliant at it so yeah it's a, it's a kind of a tangled web that to kind of tease your way through it and find 
the place where you can talk about your work but not make it everything about who you are yeah it's tricky it's really tricky and I feel like the conversations that you're having and and conversations like this that we're having today are a really valuable tool like thinking of as a mum of a daughter who's six I want her to hear these conversations and realize that actually there are different versions of success and I think we're getting there well I wonder if when she grows up because obviously um the multi-hyphenate uh, career is on the rise I wonder if there will be an answer if someone says mm. to you what you know what do you do for a living like if most of us are going to be doing these these crazy like jobs that have got you know you're doing five or six yeah. different roles yeah I wonder what the answer will be I wonder if the next question will be what you know how many followers do you have <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit black mirror actually yeah, exactly yeah so I, want, I do think about how that will play out if other people maybe just say oh what industry are you in or yeah like uh her her aspirations at the moment actually she's she's already told me she's going to be a pop singer three days a week she's going to be a childminder with her best friend for another two and I think she's going to be a taxi driver somewhere in there as well (laughs) so she's kind of nailed the multi-hyphen that's adorable (laughs) I love it I just hope that she she carries on with that belief that it's all possible like um, taking her out on the book tour with me when we were doing the book events was so important to me because I wanted her to see that like it's possible to to use your creativity and to, to be your whole self and still find success because I feel like those are the messages I never got and it took me 30 years to yeah, figure out. Yeah, that's, I definitely, after doing a creative degree and seeing behind the curtain of how little job opportunities there were, I definitely had that beaten out of me and I thought, oh nobody gets to do a job they like this is just this is life you just do a job you hate and you get on with it and I had to I had that kind of moment of crisis of just like this this can't be my life I can't I can't let this continue um so yeah and I am lucky because my mum and dad always said do whatever you want at uni so when I said I want to go and study like pop music they were like (laughs) okay (laughs) So I'm grateful that they let me have that. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's so important to let kids, first of all, let them do what they want, but also let them know that they don't have to know right away. Yeah, yeah, because we put so much pressure. Like, you, you start choosing about 15, don't you, when you make your options for GCSE, and, and then that path starts to be paved for you. And I, I think very few people actually end up doing the thing that they thought they were going to do at 15. Yeah, whereas if I had just finished school and got a job and worked for maybe four or five years by then I would probably be really inspired to go to uni and have like a really clear idea of what I wanted to do and go for the the learning instead of go for kind of the experience which yeah. is what's kind of encouraged not to downplay the experience because <laughs> university was great fun I hated it oh so maybe I'll, maybe that's where my negativity comes from <laughs> I well I met my husband there um and yeah we we just had absolutely all the time good I think that is most people's experience I'm not hopefully not putting off any young people listening well it's just that I think that's just the reality is that it's not for everyone yeah and that's absolutely fine it I mean it requires an awful lot of extroversion and social engagement and neither of those things were my favorite and bear in mind like I didn't have my beloved crutch of the internet because 
I I was born in 83 so I'm like the oldest possible millennial (laughs) and we had there was no wi-fi phones didn't have proper internet so I had to walk to an internet cafe that was about a mile away every day to check in on my forum which is like my real home where all my Mm -hmm. friends were um so I just I felt homesick for that I think if I'd had the internet I might have done I might have fared a bit better I do think about Mm -hmm. how different I wonder if you'd had the internet if you would have been a bit more um reclusive oh totally yeah I probably would have left my room but I would have enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) you'd have had a good time (laughs) we're kind of talking about like using your creative skills and I find it's so key to everyone's mental health to find a creative outlet would you agree with that absolutely and it's it's funny because it's never really something that pops up in the medical advice. Your GP is not that likely, in my experience, to recommend that you go and kind of explore your creativity. Never. And it's beaten out of you by a lot of the time by school and definitely by kind of the capitalist employment system. What role did it play in kind of you finding your path to recovery? So I, yeah, so I, that's the thing about creativity is because if you're feeling low and you're feeling like you've got low self-esteem, you feel like you don't even have the right to be creative. Yeah. You feel like you're not good yes. enough. So that's that's a real struggle. So in the beginning, I started writing for, you know, um, Kate Levine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she used to have a an online magazine called Nouvelle Daily. And I used to write for that just for fun. Um, and she was the one that told me, you know, if you're writing for this website, you should really have a blog so that people can, because I'll have a page where your your bio will be and people can click through. So I had to have someone tell me that I was good enough to actually have a blog to start one. Um, so yeah, I started that. And even it's, I think people get a, a, a kind of mixed up idea of what creativity is. It doesn't have to be mm. like painting or drawing or, it, you know, it's just you making something that wasn't there before so for me even if I wasn't writing on the blog like just designing my blog and have you know where's the pictures going to go adding in links even like subheadings just you know creating something that wouldn't have been on the internet had I not existed and that's so powerful I think when you're when you're feeling hopeless and you're feeling like you're in this deep deep hole because it gives you that small sense of purpose and that sense that you can have an impact on the world even if it's just in a tiny little way yeah it's like a tiny achievement that you get to kind of hold on to and there's something in us like I think we're just hardwired to create which makes perfect sense if you think back to like all of us living in caves Mm -hmm. and needing to create in order to survive like it our ability to creatively think and to produce something out of nothing is the reason that humans have been able yeah, to continue existing. Absolutely. But we're sort of living in an age where we're not so dependent on it a lot of the time. So it's, yeah. it gets forgotten. And we also just aren't given the the time to do it. So I didn't, I was always creative at school. I always did art and music and English and I did a creative degree. But then when I got my full-time job, I just didn't have any time. And I thought, I'm, I'm actually just not a creative person I think that must have just been I was into it when I was younger but I'm not really that creative now but I think I didn't realize how much the absence of creativity was contributing to my mental illness I've definitely found the exact same thing and I've heard other people say it too because that was probably about five years where I didn't do anything creative at all um so 
and I think that had a real, real detrimental effect to me. So, yeah, having the time off work and the space to choose to do these creative things if I wanted to was, yeah, so, like so, so powerful. So just, yeah, just gives you that space to, especially, you know, in the early days when you're depressed, like you cannot or I couldn't talk out loud about how I felt. Um, I just couldn't, couldn't find the words just because I didn't understand what was going on. So writing it out was so helpful for me but for other people it might be you know photography or painting or dancing or just or even exercise just moving because it's all expression Uh uh-huh there's so many ways and have you do you do yoga I do pilates yeah so I know things are like intense when I go to yoga and I start crying (laughs) because you're like you don't realize how much physical tension you hold in your body yes yeah, sometimes I'm in yoga and I just start sobbing. Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> well, all of these things in a strange way are like a form of meditation in the sense that you have to get quiet with yourself. Like if you're painting, if you're dancing, whatever, you're kind of in your body and you're living in yourself and you're not distracting yourself with, you know, scrolling the internet or listening to like the news or whatever else it is that we fill our time yeah. with. And so for me, I find like creativity is the time when all of my thoughts bubble up and all my feelings bubble up because the rest of the time I'm kind of drowning yeah and when you get into that creative flow like that feeling where you're you're not doing the work you're it's just coming out of you and you're just capturing it that's so magical I love that that is that is the that's my true definition of success I think is to find that time every day it's a real high, isn't it, when you get that? Yeah, absolutely. Although I have to say, it doesn't happen for me every day. I wish it did. No, me neither. But yeah, when it cut, for me, definitely, probably with you as well, it was more so with the book, like with a long project where, you know, I have to commit to um, writing a lot. So you're probably doing it more than you normally would. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So we've talked about the book and about your blog and about your journalism work, but you also have a podcast, right? Yeah, it's called The Positive People Podcast. Um, and I started it with my friend Amy, Amy Holland, who has a, a business called I Can Card. So she makes positive affirmation cards, which I was like, what a load of rubbish. Don't believe in positive <laughs> affirmations. Um, but she contacted me on Instagram a couple of years ago and said, oh, can I send you a box? Because I think you'd like them. And she sent me them. And I was just amazed because she's she wrote them in response to... Um, annoying positive affirmations basically all these like choose happy and it's five o'clock somewhere all these kind of things so she's written them from the perspective of people with mental illness so sometimes it's like um I can recognize my triggers like that could just be your affirmation for the day or I can slow down or I can accept I don't need to be perfect so really really powerful affirmations and yeah we just became really good friends and she lives in Cardiff so we're quite, quite a couple of hours apart but we became really, really good friends and we've wanted to collaborate for a while. So we decided to start a podcast <laughs> like everyone else in the world. <laughs> and we've been doing it um, since January and it's going really well. So it is loosely mental health based, but it's really just we both meet so many interesting people in our lines of work that we wanted a place that we could document all that. Um, so like this week we were ta- I was talking to... Um, a couple of people about death anxiety and how it's really important that we talk about death in real life and um, dying and how we can make that a positive 
or like a less painful experience for people if we start talking about it. I was looking at your podcast this morning actually and is that the episode where you also talk about why it's fine if all you remembered for is taking the bins out on time? Yeah it's because we're talking about how like funerals are always like it's like the highlights reel basically like Instagram but at your funeral where they'll only say like these crazy hyperbolic things like she was the kindest woman to ever grace the earth and we were saying like imagine if it was just realistic and and the person was like yeah she always took the bins out (laughs) she was such a testament to like the the flat she was so helpful (laughs) yeah we talk about things like that um and then yeah just stuff that we're interested in like emotional intelligence and cutting through the the rubbish self-care nonsense and stuff like that so yeah it's great fun we're enjoying doing it I love that because it's I think you've written about this as well actually like there's a lot of uh kind of toxic positivity on the internet that's very easy to kind of subscribe to um there's a subreddit I follow that's called wow thanks I'm cured (laughs) that just shares like examples of this all the time um because it isn't that helpful when you're in a really difficult place it's really not I remember seeing yeah a quote on Instagram that was today I choose to be happy Mm. and I was just enraged so enraged I just thought if I could if I could choose to be happy right now I would um but now what I've realized is actually it's really unhealthy to to be to try and be positive all the time because the more that you the more that you deal with all the the full spectrum of emotions with sadness anger anxiety happiness excitement the more you deal with all of these on a, a regular basis um, the more resilient you become and the more normal they feel and you can ride them out and be like okay I'm I'm sad today but that's yes. okay because this is normal I just got to process it and you know as we know it's better to just feel these emotions and express them than bottle them up well this this is a lesson as a parent I feel like I'm learning all the time because your instinct is to never let your child feel any any sadness course, or uncomfortable yeah. emotion but that doesn't help them because you have to go through it and it's better for them to learn that it's fine to feel scared or upset or really, ups- you know, really heartbroken and that it's fine. So Amy actually has a box of cards for children, <gasps> which is great. And they've got little drawings on them. So there's like one that's got a lion and it says, I can be brave like a lion. Oh, I'm going to find these. These sound like exactly what I need. Has she yeah. got, well, she's got a website presumably where I can yeah, find it all. I can cards. I will stick the link in the show notes as well for everyone listening who's like I need these too. yeah but honestly that that's one of it as well one of the key things that's helped me um challenge that negative inner critic that if you if you're not aware of it it can really can really get on top of you um so yeah let, let's you listen to that negative voice and just okay my I'm telling myself that I'm lazy because and I bet you get you feel like this a lot oh I'm so lazy because I can't yeah. get out of bed or blah 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 whereas you need to fight that with the evidence of like no I'm unwell and when people are unwell they need to rest but it's such a simple a simple technique but we just get caught up in that negative voice especially if you've not had many role models in your early life I think who who give you that counter voice to it in the real world yes definitely so a lot of us are having to work really hard to yeah correct it yeah um I feel like kind of the thread that's run through everything we've talked about today really is that thing you've just said about tuning in to what's going on inside your head and feeling the emotions you're feeling and not not suppressing it. And whether that's making time for creativity so that you get to hear them or whether it's finding a community online so that you're able to talk it out or um, even listening to a podcast where those things, those conversations are happening. So at least you've got 
a place to feel like you're not yeah, alone with feeling it. validated is so important when you've got mental illness definitely and and actually like none of us are alone whatever it is we're going through and it might not be mental illness it might be something different for you but there will be like statistically it is impossible for there not to be somebody else online who is going through something similar and it's just a question of finding them and then you're able to kind of help each other through it yeah you're so right Fiona where can people find more of your work um so that they can dig in a bit deeper so my book is called depression in a digital age and you can get that on amazon or the publisher's website which is trigger press my website is fiona likes to blog.com and you can find me on instagram at fiona likes to blog and twitter as well is a good place to catch up on all your articles as well i'm always reading things that you shared there too. yeah i'll always share my stuff on there Thank you so much. This has been so valuable. I know people are going to have loads to say about it. So if you're listening at home and you want to come and chat with us about it, come and find us on Twitter and Instagram. I will put the links to both of our profiles in the show notes so you can come and carry on the conversation. There are show notes with a link to Fiona's excellent memoir that we mentioned, as well as all of our social media handles and everything else we've talked about at meandallai.co.uk forward slash podcast 75. And if you are a Twitter person, definitely give her a follow. She writes some really interesting pieces that are worth a read. And she's also quite often looking for business owners for interviews or for press opportunities that she's working on. So it's win-win. I'll make sure I include that in the show notes too. That's all from me for this week. I will see you next time. Have a great one.